you're a person. That it will be a person that greets us. At the end of all this, it will be a person that looks us in the eyes. Lord, thank you that it's a person that waits, and it's a person that we serve. It's a person that knows us. It's a person that wants us. It's not just ideas and concepts and, and doctrinal truths. Lord, you're, you're somebody greater than we are that loves us, and we thank you for that. I just pray, God, that you would speak to us today in some ways what you have to share today is, is even more important than yesterday because this brings it closer to us. And I, I just pray, God, for your voice to speak to us in a way that we sense we hear it. You said, my sheep hear my voice. God, I want to claim that promise. That we would hear your voice, each person here individually, what you want for them. And in your mind, there's about 150 different conferences going on right here. 150 different summits. I pray you would consider every single one of them a success. May that be so. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Well, um, Yesterday, we got to hear a lot of really, really important truth, and today, we will take it a step farther. I, I appreciated the verse that, that Travis shared, and, and, and often that verse will come up in different contexts about the men of Issachar, and there was a couple of remarkable things about the men of Issachar. Uh, what were they? You guys remember what was, it, what was it about the men of Issachar? They understood the times. Whoa. That is pretty amazing. We're constantly living in a different place in history. The men of Issachar were not stuck in the past. The men of Issachar, they recognized things are changing. Something's different here. Those were the guys that had their head in the game, and they understood the times. What else is true about the men of Issachar? What's that? They knew how to take action. It says, uh, well, the NIV, it says, it says this, uh, uh, they, they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. That also is remarkable. There was a group of men, when those men were together, they understood what was going on and they knew what needed to be done. Wouldn't it be awesome to be like the men of Issachar? And that's what God calls us to be. And I as I understand that verse, it wasn't like it was the leaders or the leaders were these guys that had understanding. It seems to be like he spoke of this, the men of Issachar. That was a tribe in Israel. And that must have been young men and older men. There was a group of men who understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And brothers, I just want to share with you that that God wants to find men of Issachar. And we can say, what is it that makes, what, who are those guys? And there's people that would say, the way you become a man of Issachar is you study the Bible, you read the Bible. 
And without question, God's truth is a part of that. But I also want to say this. I have known an awful lot of men with a deep knowledge of the Bible. I would not describe them this way. That knowledge of the Bible did not take them down that road, in my understanding. And I have been with very young brothers, and I listen to those young brothers, and I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That guy is connected. He's hearing the voice of God. What is a man of Issachar? I think God does speak to our hearts. And, and we can do a couple things with that speaking to our hearts. We can squish it. We can go, oh, that can't be true. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not going. And we squish it. Or there are men that hear that voice in there and they go, whoa, okay. We need to do that. I need to flow that way. I need to go there. And those men continue to hear that voice and they have a discernment about their world and they're different men. Brothers, I want to invite you to be men of Issachar. God will speak to your heart. Don't squish that voice that you hear like, oh, I should do this or I should deal with this or I should engage here. I should be humble here. I should ask forgiveness here. When that voice speaks inside you, you kind of do that. This would be this is be this would be the right thing. This would be what God wants. Don't squish it. Trust and walk in it. I feel like for a lot of my life I have gotten to hang with a lot of men of Issachar. They've been men that listened. And, and for you women, I just pray and hope you can look at the guy beside you and go, I am with one of those men. But you are called to be women of God. And, and we all go back and forth in our faith at different times. And, and whatever you view your, wherever your situation is, and I know you're with the most amazing person in the world, and I don't have any question about that. But you know, it, with Jesus, Luke tells us, there was times where wives of men would travel with him. You go... Where were their husbands? And why weren't they with their husbands? And what was the story there? Why is Jesus traveling around the countryside with all these other men's wives? It had to be utterly scandalous. But when those women could not find faith in the, their husband, they went to the right man. They went to the right man. And you must never forget who your first husband is. And you hear the voice of God. And you follow. And what today is about is hearing the voice of the men of Issachar. We heard teachers yesterday. But today we're going to hear us. We're going to hear people who have heard that voice, who have made choices, who are in the process of making choices, because the world we live in is changing. We don't have to freak out about that, but the church is going to live in a very different place 10 years from now in this culture. And again, we don't have to, that's not to be alarmist. We don't have to freak out about that, but you know what we do have to do? We have to live through it. We need men of Issachar. We need men who go, you know, I understand the times, 
and I know what we need to do. And my desire is to hang with those men and lead the church through this next phase of history together. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to hear from three different couples, kind of different stages of life. Places where God spoke to them and they had to make choices to obey. They had to make choices to follow. Then we're going to have lunch and have a little more discussion over lunch. You get some questions there. We're also going to give you time to come up with some plans. Then after lunch, we're going to have, we're really going to open it up. We're going to have sort of a, we're going to have a panel where you have questions and answers. Because the goal of all this is not this weekend. It's what do you do tomorrow? It's what happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. How can you be those men, those women, and go, we are rolling a different direction? I understand what's going on, and I know what we need to do, and it's not going to be easy, honey, and we need to be humble and start making choices because we want to hang with this guy all the way through. We want to get on the boat like Pat shared yesterday. We don't want to miss this one. We don't want to miss this boat. And you know what? If we get too far away from this, it'll be too hard to get on. We need to go now. And um, so we're just going to have some, some uh, folks here, just like how all this struggle, and it's not like these are the, the best examples of victory, whatever, but these are guys God's called and asked of them and stuff, and they've made choices, and they're just examples to us of, of either specifics or just the spirit of doing it. So um, Rich and Morgan Thatcher are going to come up and just pass on a little bit about their life. All right. Yeah, my name is Rich Thatcher. This is my wife, Morgan Thatcher. Uh, just a little about us. Um, this year, we will be celebrating 20 years being married. So I uh, strategically chose getting married in 2000 so I could keep track of how long we've been married. So it, it is 20 years. So um, we have five kids, uh, ages 17, 16, 14, as of this month, it'll be 17, 16, 14, 11, and 8. Most of them still like us. Um, so, uh, at least I've, me. They like her, at least, yes. Uh, I've been a pastor for 20 years as well, was uh, recognized at Summit View Community Church uh, back in 2000, getting married and becoming a pastor the same year. It's not a good idea, I don't suggest it, um, but um, let's see, so I thought I'm just going to share a few things, maybe some practicals as it relates to these teachings and just maybe some ideas as we go home and wrestle with more practicals, just some tools to to pass on to you. But just a a little about our story. Uh, Sometimes people, it's fun to cross people that are younger in the college group at Fort Collins that, you know, they ask if I've ever heard of The Rock back in the day. And like, I was a pastor in The Rock and you were still in diapers. Um, (laughs) Found out recently as well, I'm going to my 30th class reunion this year and uh, did a little math and realized my co-pastor and his wife were in diapers when I graduated from high school, so <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of wisdom packed into those guys there, but anyways, um, you know, so in 2000, we were pastoring um, for a few years. We had a wave of graduates coming out of the rock there, and we thought, well, what if we explored Denver to start a church down there, and you know, we'd had four years of ministry experience. We knew what we were doing. We knew our philosophy of ministry. We were ready to start a church. And so um, we went, went down to Denver in 2004 and teamed up with Rick and Neva Whitney down there. And we, we went to start a cutting-edge, radical, fast-growing church. And, and little did we know that God brought us to Denver to save our marriage. And we got there, and it was... 
pardon me if I get emotional, that daylight savings took that sleep from me. <laughs> That's hard. Um, you know, we went from Fort Collins where I had my own office with an ergonomic chair in my office. I, I had an office right next to the basketball court. It was like a dream come true. You know, discipleship basketball was my tool. Um, but then we went down to Denver and we got a little tiny apartment that cost us more than our huge house back in Fort Collins. And my office was, we put a desk in our closet in our little apartment and that was our office. And we went from having, you know, hundreds of people in the college group that we're investing in. Morgan was investing in the women, I was investing in the men, and then we went to a church of like 20, and, and God said, you're here to plant a church, but I'm here to work on your marriage, and he began to crank on some things in our lives, and it was arguably the hardest. Ah, hardest time of our lives. We've ever been to several, several years of just, you know, uh, growing and our patterns and breaking habits that we had started, and we had a lot of help from people who loved us, and um, we look back on that, kind of like John shared, and I, we look back on that, and I go, thank you, Lord, that you let us go through that. It's the best thing that could have ever happened to us. But it was hard. <laughs> um, a couple of verses that I wanted to share with you, just some life verses here. I think about this group of people. Some of you have longer history together with this kind of a group of, of churches, and, and some of you are newer here, but one of my life verses is this psalm, um, Psalm 16, verse 6, I love it in the NAS here, it says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And I think, whether you know it or not, we are a part of a group of men and women who've been following Jesus for a number of decades now. And they, they made a choice to become disciples years ago. And in the process, they, they've passed on a way of life to us, to a lot of us. It's, it's changed our lives. It's saved our marriages. It's helped us raise kids. And, you know, I just love that line, my heritage is beautiful to me. I think, you know, God could have affected our stories. We could have been saved in any other church. We could have been a part of Campus Crusade and got to run with Bill Bright. Could have gotten saved in Tim Keller's church and had an author for a pastor and all that. But, but he's made us a part of these churches, and, and I, there's nothing more beautiful. And I think of my heritage is beautiful to me. I just wanted to highlight what that means to me. And, and that means to me, it's people. You know, I think of uh, some of the people in this room. I don't know if I could ask a few of you to stand up. Any of you that ever came from Ames whatsoever? Um, some of you, I, I think the Sokols, I think of the Groves, I think Katy Perry, Yowslings. Some of you, some of you, would you please stand up real quick? Any of you that you're part of that generation? Bronzes. I think of the Bronzes. I mean, this. Thank you, guys. I think we, we have been given an amazing heritage of people who love Jesus and have tra tracked through uh, a number of phases of life. And uh, another verse that I think of as well is just, uh, this is kind of a life verse, but it's Hebrews 13, 7. It's meant a lot to me over the years, but it just says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I remember first showing up at church at Summit View and looking at the relationships there, I think of you know, John and Carol and some of the other ones, and, I, and it just stood out to me that it's like, these guys, this marriage, I think, I think they like each other. I could be wrong, but I think they actually enjoy their marriage. Um, I think their kids actually like them as well, and it was just like, it was radically different than the world I was brought up in, in a marriage that uh, my parents, I don't think, liked each other, and I don't know, you know, that we didn't have that sort of thing, but I thought, that outcome, I want that. Whatever they're doing, whatever they're smoking, I want to smoke it. Whatever it is, I want, 
but really what it was is a, a way of understanding the Word of God and a way of life that flows from being a disciple. And, and so we've jumped in with that ever since. But um, one of the things I just want to share with us here is this idea of some practicals here is just, um, I think Pat brought it up yesterday, but it, the question of, are you a disciple or not? Do you want to be a disciple or not? Because if you do, the rest is details. You know, there's a lot of details out there. And if you don't, well, you spent a lot of money to come up here, and I hope you had a great time, but uh, I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming you do. And, but if you do, one of the things I just want to share with you, that means, you know, God's going to use his word, he's going to use his spirit. But if you say, like, you know, you go on a prayer walker and say, Lord, I want to be your disciple, do whatever is needed to make me more like Jesus, what could happen shortly after that is John Meyer will walk up next to you and go, hey, brother, um, can I talk to you about something here? And, uh, and maybe start sharing input. And you'll have people that go, hey, you said you want to be a disciple, and I'd love to help you. I noticed something in your marriage. I noticed your countenance uh, this morning at church, and I'd love to help you if you're open to that. And then you and I have to decide, are we really open to that? Someone wants to give us input. Are we going to receive it? Um, would we even go? What I figured out early on was, Someone who's following Jesus and they want to help you, they're going to give you input. But if you seek input first, it goes a lot easier. You know, instead of someone like catching you by surprise, if you go, yeah, we need help in our marriage. We need help in our parenting. Would you, there's been times, you know, just even after learning some hard lessons when we first started the church where we've asked for input from Pat and Cindy and they were such a huge blessing. But if we're going to be disciples, we, we all know we're supposed to obey the Bible and follow the Spirit, but God uses people who've done that and have experience and have outcomes that we like. And, and if you want that, I would be ready for that, uh, to receive input and to seek input and apply it. And the crazy thing is eventually you're going to have to start giving input to other people. And, you know, it takes faith to say, hey, can I help you with something that someone helped me with? And there's just this culture, this way of life that I think God wants to re revive in, in our world. And um, so anyways, uh, just one practical on seeking input, I, I, you can seek it from whether it's pastors, small group leaders, I know we get parenting advice from, from different places, I got a father-in-law, Morgan's dad is also a pastor, and he's not hesitant to give input as well, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, we, we touch base with, you know, the Nelson sometimes, or Josh and Krista out in Salt Lake, but we're seeking input often, recently with my kids, we did a, in our men's group, we talked about, uh, how to be better dads and husbands. And uh, one of the things I came away with an action step was I don't normally do Valentine's card, but I wrote each of my kid a card. And in there, we, we had talked about the passage of love is patient, love is kind, love is... And, and I just said, hey, you know, kids, I wrote each one of them, I love you, and I want to grow in showing you love. And I gave them this list, this, this passage. You know, first one was a checkbox, like, do you still want me to be your dad? And that was a... But then after that, it was like, how can I grow in showing you love. And each one of my kids, I asked them to circle a phrase that I needed to grow in and, and even put a little star by things they thought I was doing okay. Um, a lot more things circled, I think, than I hoped. But <laughs> no. no, but anyways, they gave me some input. And some of it was, we, t we joked in our men's group, it's like, you probably know some things, so you just assume they're going to share that. But if there's something else, well, then you get two things to learn. And there were some things that I wasn't expecting from some of my teens. And Got to tackle them. Another place, a great source for input. Uh, a lot of wise, wise input could be from your spouse, you know. And I think Morgan has um, a lot of wisdom. And, and sometimes I'll ask her for it, and many times I won't, but I'll get it. And um, 
That's true. But I, I just think there's, as we start tackling some of these issues, like Travis just opened up a can of worms with the smartphone stuff, right? And I go, I got things I need to think through. How's this affecting my relationship with God, my marriage? But when you start having teens, now all of a sudden you get to walk them through that. And if you haven't tackled that yourself, you're going to have to have some input there. But anyways, my wife and I have been talking about some things related to kind of helping our teens grow and follow Jesus. And I think she had some insight that she's offered me that she shared with me along with what I asked from them that kind of came together at the same time. And, but I thought I'd have her share some of the things that she's been learning, we've been learning together that would be good to, to share with others. We have time for that, right? Yeah. How are we doing? I All was right. hoping you would keep talking. Yep. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think just on um, some practical things with our teens, like he's, so our 17-year-old and 16-year-old are girls, and then our 14-year-old is a boy, and then we have two more boys that are still in elementary school. Um, I think one of the things that I feel very passionately about and that we are working to be strong in together is um, it's hard to call your teens into anything if you don't have a relationship with them. I think when you have elementary age kids and little kids, it's really easy to pull the authority card when they're not doing what you want because you're bigger than them and you're more articulate than them and you can kind of just pull that card and say you just need to do what I say. When when they're transitioning into being teens, that doesn't work as well um, and it brings a lot of conflict I think in your relationship with them and so we've just been working really hard to have a relationship with the kids and relationship with our teens and call them into things and have them come alongside or us come alongside of them and call them into it. One of the very practical things that I do is when my kids and all our elementary kids too, when they voluntarily, voluntarily tell us anything, um, something they're working through that is hard or, um, you know, the multiple things that are facing our teens, when they voluntarily come to me and they tell me something, they tell me something they did wrong, I don't ever correct them in that moment. I try to draw them out, I try to talk to them, and then afterwards I'm like, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for um, trusting me with that. Um, and then I circle back around maybe later in the afternoon or the next day and help bring some direction and guidance there. But just working really hard to have relationship with the teens so that when my daughter's classmate says, I'm gay, my daughter's first thought is, I want to talk to mom about that. I want to talk to dad about that. Not because I have to, but I want to, and she's my best friend, even though she, I'm still calling her into obedience and calling her into those things, I want her to feel safe. I want her to feel like, okay, mom is the person I want to talk to, dad is the person I want to talk to, because they've been given to me for a reason. So that's all I've got. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you know, I think it just for some of you who are not yet in the teen years or something, I think there's this intimidation about it. And and there's a reason for that. Um, no, no, I think there's, to me, I, I feel there's a, it's a mixed bag. I think raising teens is it's one of the hardest things I've ever engaged with. Um, and, you know, having conflict with your wife, you know, that's old hat. We can do that. But having conflict with a teen, that's, that's not fun. And um, so there, there's things there that it, it can be extremely hard. And yet at the same time, there's seasons where I go, this is a lot easier than they said it was going to be. You know, it's enjoyable and it's fun. And they're... Both of those can happen, you know, back 
day, one day to the next, you know, the same week and be like, oh, this is the hardest thing ever, and this is awesome, you know, and, um, but, but I think it is. I think it's extremely hard and challenging, and yet we have men and women who you can look at their lives and go, I like the outcome they got. What, what verse did you apply? What, how, how should we do this? And, um, and, and there's times I think relationally it's, it's enjoyable to have a relationship, an enjoyable relationship with uh, my kids is something I didn't really experience that. I hear people that had that, and I go, that would have been neat but I'm getting this opportunity now, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and yet we're tackling some huge things from social media stuff, gender issues, sexual sin in our culture, all of that, and, and we get to walk that out with, with our, our little friends here. And, um, and so anyways. And I think one of the stories I shared at breakfast when we were sitting around talking is none of our kids have phones. And um, there was a situation that had happened um, this week or last week or something that the kids had in class. And um, our, we were kind of following up with our girls on it, like how to go, you know, what. And we said to them, they were like, oh, we're really appreciative that they legitimately said this. I think if they were standing here today, they would actually say, we feel like we are walking alongside of our parents. They're not dragging us into something that we're doing this together. But they said to us, thank you for not letting us have a phone. And we, you know, I said, well, there, there is a method to the madness. I do, you know, I'm, we are asking you to not have a phone for a reason and for a purpose. Sometimes they, you don't fully understand it. Can you trust me? Can you trust me until there's understanding and maturity there? But it was cool to even just get that validation from them this week. Like, okay, yes, we are doing this together and relationally we're work walking these things out, so. And that's all we have for now, I think, so. Thank you. Uh, my name is Colin T. Walt. This is my wife, Courtney. We really feel like we're like on the junior varsity squad, <laughs> getting to come up here and, and share a few things. But, um, you know, to the extent that the Spirit lives in us and is, is calling us into obedience, and there's some things we've worked through, uh, some things I think we're still working through. I just want to share a couple thoughts. Um, so appreciate your time. Um, just want to start. I think Courtney's going to share something. I'll share something. Um, Courtney's going to share basically a struggle that we had as a, a young married couple. Just how do we serve God? And this will get really practical because um, it deals with finances. That's everyone's favorite non-controversial uh, subject to talk about in a church setting. Um, but I hope it blesses you. We're, we're really excited to share. And so I'll let uh, Courtney kind of share her perspective. Yes. Uh, hello. So I grew up in a family. Uh, I have parents and a sister who uh, love the Lord and come from a kind of long generation of that. And I'm very grateful for that. I saw my parents tithe faithfully and give generously um, throughout really difficult times, through uh, the recession, and my dad owned a business and wanted to make sure that he paid his employees and paid the bills, and so he wouldn't take a paycheck for a few weeks, and we were living on mom's salary, and we still saw them tithe faithfully every week. And I don't think I really recognized that until I was much older and kind of recognized money was a thing that existed. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, but, but at the same time as I'm getting ready, going, uh, getting ready to go to college, you know, I had some conversations with my dad and, 
and every parent wants their children to succeed and um, to, uh, yeah, be not, not struggling in, in different areas or especially with money. Um, and so I had a lot of conversations with my dad about just the importance of looking out for number one, you know, and I think that's definitely something in our culture that is becoming the narrative. Uh, look out for yourself, make sure you take care of yourself first, all of that. Um, and so uh, for me, uh, who is an, uh, a crazy saver, I would just save and 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 save. And save. Um, that really translated to me with uh, just an inconsistent and a very calculated and legalistic feel um, towards the tithe and also just towards general generosity um, with people around me. Um, and so I, I missed out on a lot of joy, I think, because I just... It was something I had to do, and I'm the good Christian girl that's going to do it, but maybe not consistently, and maybe not with a joyful heart. Um, so then, you know, fast forward a few years, and I think this guy's pretty great, so I want to get married to him. Uh, and Colin was really, really faithful and, and regular in how he tithed, even to the pain point of rounding up. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, well, the tithe is you know, $789.12 for this six-month period. And he's like, no, what if we go up a little bit? And it wouldn't be very much at the end of the year. Maybe $10 is about extra, you know, but that $10 would make a big difference in my life if we got to hold on to it. <laughs> um, at the same time, it stretched beyond that. Colin, in a very responsible way, loved to take his friends to lunch and bless them by buying their meal. Um, to me, that was just like, what in the world are you doing? Um, yeah, and, and I think just in other ways, he really looked for opportunities to help and to bless others um, financially. Meanwhile, in this, I just want to make sure you know, we were fresh, uh, well, relatively fresh out of college, entry-level jobs, not making necessarily a lot of money. Um, and, and it just generated a lot of challenging conversations for us um, at the start of our marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I had, I am grateful to have had just input, discipleship into my life and conviction when it, when it comes to money and generosity. And, um, actually like John, John Larson, you're probably like one of the most generous guys I know. And, uh, you probably wouldn't say that about yourself, but, um, Pat, you doing teachings at the rock, um, John, um, Nathan, Nathan, you too, like just a lot of seriously great input to help me see where does generosity fit within the framework of being a disciple. Um, and so now I have this job to like, you know, I can either, I'm, I'm married, so I have, I have a vision, I have a direction, and I have this responsibility to, to lead us in where God wants us to go. So I just remember we had conversations and I probably shared on a couple of these convictions that, um, you know, when, when it comes to everything that we have, um, everything we have is God's for two reasons. Number one, he's in the beginning, there was nothing. And then he created the whole world. So everything is his. So, and if that reason wasn't good enough, when we, when we came to Christ, we were bought with a price. 
at infinite cost to himself. So, so how can everything I have? Jesus paid it all, right? All to him I owe. So I, and that wasn't my default, but people taught me that, and I, and I owned it. And I got to share that with Courtney. Um, I really viewed it as, you know, we graciously, we get Jesus, eternity, hope, and peace in times of, of any, any circumstance we need. Oh, and, and, and by the way, oh, we found the squeak. Um, by the way, we get, to, we get to keep and steward 90% of the resources that are coming into our, our bank accounts. That's a pretty amazing privilege for a disciple. And, uh, and it's, it's really not a sacrifice. Pat, I think you've shared that before. In light of what Jesus has done for us. So that's something that, that I own and something that Courtney and I have talked about. Um, so, of course, having the information isn't always enough to get you to, to, to act, to change. So for Courtney, right, she's, she's kind of describing this from her perspective. Um, certainly that framework is helpful, but Courtney already had a deep desire to trust and follow me and honor me and my leadership, um, which is, is an amazing kind of picture of, of the church. But I think those two things together we were talking about, I was asking Courtney last night, so what, what like actually got you to change your heart, change your mind? Um, number one, you have to know the truth. The second thing, she just had a, a, a heart to already um, follow me in whatever I felt like I had a vision for our household in, so... Um, I'll let Courtney kind of talk about that journey. So she made that decision and then kind of the journey of what does it look like to, to yeah. be a cheerful giver? Yeah, so um, it just choosing to trust and submit to Colin, uh, I found a lot of liberty uh, from my husband. I would, you know, be going out to get coffee with a girlfriend and I'd be walking out the door and he'd say, you know, why don't why don't you pay for their coffee today? Why don't you go ahead and do that? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I should because that $2 could be really valuable to me later on. <laughs> um, but, but choosing to do that and finding joy in those little baby steps, just those little opportunities to give generously. Um, we also had an opportunity later on to support a family member um, generously with uh, ministry, uh, that they were going to be embarking on and, and needed some support. And that, that felt like an easy baby step because it's family. And it was a ministry that I was connected to back when I was in Des Moines. And so it felt like I was still able to invest and be a part of that. Um, and then uh, similarly, um, I, I just remember for me a, a major turning point. I was at work and I was talking to my boss and they informed me that I was getting a raise. And while that's really cool... Um, what I remember being the most impactful was the first thing I did when I got back to my desk um, was recalculate how much we would get to tithe. Um, I, I never thought that would be a result uh, of something for, for me uh, in my faith. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just, just really becoming a, a cheerful giver, and there's so much joy in that. Um, and then those were just the training wheels that led to just a heart where I could really 
uh, join Colin in, in generosity and be excited to look for those opportunities. Um, meanwhile, I'm still a saver. Um, and so we have a vision and, and a desire to finish our basement. Um, so we were saving through that and uh, getting to the point of maybe being able to start on some of the process of finishing our basement. And we had an opportunity um, to, to give and to give sacrificially and, and even in a sense potentially painfully um, to the point where what we saved would no longer be saved any longer for the purpose we had intended. Uh, and when we sat down to kind of talk about this opportunity, it, it, it just wasn't even a question or discussion that we needed to go through. Um, and we were both just in, a, in agreement and in joyful anticipation to be able to give, um, to give that freely. Uh, and so that was just a really, um, really great joy. And, and one thing also, uh, I'm, I'm expecting, we're expecting our first child in July. Um, yeah, yay! It's, it's really thrilling. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about is just the desire to go part-time once baby comes. And something I would have never expected from me, uh, a, a hoarder of money, a non-cheerful giver, um, who was redeemed and, and changed by Jesus, that... I'm actually a little humbled and a little sad to go part-time because we just have, we'll have less resource to be able to give um, necessarily as generous. Uh, we still plan on making room for that, but it will change slightly uh, as we grow our family. But that was just kind of a story I wanted to share of Jesus changing my heart. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think just, I realize as, as we we're kind of talking through this and hearing her side of the story, this is... For me, as, as a man, as a leader in our household, it is an incredible honor to represent Jesus and his church. And just like we're conformed to the image of, of Christ day by day, I realize like, there's a little tiny example of Courtney getting to be sort of conformed to my image, although I'm imperfect, but it's, it's a picture of, of the gospel and... Um, as I reflect on it now, it just blows my mind. It's, it's a mystery, um, but we're, we got to experience what that's like. Um, so whether you're the, you know, the guys leading your wives through something, something hard, um, many of you already have, you know, there's, there's an amazing joy on the other side to just go where God is, has put on your heart and for wives if you, even though you can't see it, to trust and, and submit and pray. and It's just this complementarian, amazing picture, and it's just one way that, that we've kind of walked out uh, living by God's grace uh, worthy of the gospel, life worthy of the gospel. Let's see. we are uh, got a few minutes here. Um, so... I just want to share something really quick for me. Uh, as, as, a, as a man, it's, it's really easy to fall into the trap of passivity, and it's kind of been my whole narrative, my whole life. So give you a little paint a picture of my background. Um, so in third grade, I entered public school for the first time. They put me in something called a gifted and talented program, which just meant I was getting a little bit better grades than uh, my classmates. And uh, I remember having to take these tests at the beginning of the year. There, there were like 
vocabulary tests, and the higher you score on them, there was uh, books that you had to read that were kind of at that level. And I realized the next year that if I got some questions wrong, the, the, the questions started to get a little easier and I could sort of manipulate my way through. So I almost think I should have been in the extra gifted and talented program because, and, and uh, I'm a computer programmer now, so that's, it's a perfect fit. But, um, but uh, so I, I, at a young age, I just got too clever for my own good. Um, you know, misassignments uh, in the class, the in, uh, classes I wasn't interested in. You know, I'd get uh, C's and uh, I was certainly capable of more than that. Um, externally looking really good and receiving a lot of recognition. But um, at the same time, I got a D in AP history, but I passed the test. So, you know, it's just this kind of like, basically what that translates to is everything that I'm, that I'm kind of putting my, my shoulders into, that I, some things come easily, some things don't, but every like accomplishment that I, that I have or something good that happens is maybe as a result of my faith, it kind of seems like there it's, it's tainted. It comes on the heels of procrastination and passivity and like it doesn't count and that's what I'm really most concerned about when I when I get to see Jesus face to face I want it to count I want him to say well done good and faithful servant and um, and so guys I, I don't know if I think we all tend to struggle with passivity it's like it's kind of in our DNA through Adam um, but there's just a couple things. This is something I'm working through. I don't like have all the answers, but a couple things that I am working through right now is um, number one, I realize that God gives gifts. He He lets certain things come easy to some people and others to other people, and it's all for the blessing everybody around you um, for building up the church. Um, you know, but. For people who consider themselves maybe naturally gifted, it can, it can come with a lot of weaknesses. Distractibility, right? Apathy towards menial or uninteresting tasks. And um, so the journey I'm on right now is, is really just, like John shared, accepting the circumstances of my life as explicitly chosen by the sovereign hand of God um, to walk lovingly with me right now. Um, number two, just recognizing that God's view of me is so much more gracious and understanding than my view of myself, which I think is amazing. If you read uh, Hebrews 11, there's all these people that are, that are touted as heroes of the faith. And then you go look in, at those stories, and you're like Sarah laughed when, when God came to Abraham and told him that they were going to bear a child. And, but again, in Hebrews you get the lens of the gospel that, that says she believed and her, she had faith. And, um, and so I'm also realizing that the, the same gospel I first started to believe 10 years ago, it's the same gospel I still have to believe today, and that's, that's the hard work of, of discipleship in a lot of ways is believing what's true, being convinced of it. Um, 
Pat, one thing you shared that was kind of helpful was this whole concept of, of obedience. And we can't say that this, this doesn't apply to me. But one, a helpful filter was when I see my failures, if I can do an honest self-examination and, and, and say with conviction that it's my heart's desire to follow God in everything I do, though I fail, then it, it sort of helps those, those failures kind of put in the right context, you know, not, not get me down too much. Um, because my life is still successful, right? I can, I can still make progress, still make baby steps, just like Courtney took some baby steps. There's always an, a step for, for all of us. There's a next step that we can grow in. And my, it's my understanding until, until we go home, uh, there's, there's something good for us to walk in, something to grow in. Um, so I get kind of to sum it all up for me, um, when it comes to leading my house, I, I know my, my, my strengths. I know my weaknesses. They're, I'm acutely aware of them. Um, but what I'm, what I'm realizing is there are things that I have in Christ that are mine to take hold of and Gosh dang it, if I don't take hold of it and, and just use what God has given me and stumble along the way um, for his glory. So, um, yeah, really the, the foundation of our house is Jesus Christ. We're just taking baby steps to build on it with materials that'll last. Um, so I want to quickly read. Let's see if we got, uh, I think we got like a minute here. So there's just a passage in uh, 1 Corinthians, that uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about their faith, and I just think it applies here. According to, the, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's a capital D, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but it's only through fire. So I think I'll just leave it there. That's God's word. Get ready to welcome the Everhearts up here. And I have told them explicitly that most of what they share with us needs to be true. So, uh, we'll... Okay, so like John said, I'm Roger Everhart. This is my wife, Renee. Um, we got married in December of 1990. Um, shortly after that, we went to uh, college at CSU. We have eight children, one granddaughter. Um, my oldest is 25. My youngest is just about to turn 11. And we have a whole lot of ages in between. If you want to know all the ages, you can ask Renee afterwards. <laughs> um, but... Um, Shortly after we were married, we decided to go to school at CSU, um, and we rolled into Fort Collins, and 
started our, our uh, quest of being college students and eventually made our way into Summit View Church um, in the fall of 1992. And um, as we walked into that church, Renee and I both kind of grew up in a little bit of a, somewhat of a church background. But as we walked into that church, we did notice that um, this church was a little different. It met in a hotel. Um, the people were a little bit more excited about things. And what they did on Sunday, they actually kind of lived out every day of the week. And we kind of thought, well, some of these people are a little crazy, um, but um, let's go ahead and join this church. So we jumped in, and as we immediately got involved in a small group, which they were very um, quick to do with you guys, but with us when back in the back when we first started, um, but we got got right involved in a small group, and we started doing life um, at some of you, and with that. One of the things that, that really appealed to us was is that just their, their, their vision and their mission with the Great Commission and seeing people saved all over the world and seeing churches planted. And that really made sense to Renee and I, and we just, our heart just really grew in that. Um, and so they, so some of you was planting churches and, and as we were growing and we, we even graduated college and we stayed around in Fort Collins um, just so that we could be a part of the church. And they started to think about planning the Loveland Church. We really wanted to go, but God said, no, not this time. Um, a few years later, they started the Greeley Church. We're like, we're in. These are our people. Steve and Kathleen Nelson kind of discipled us. They were starting that church um, in Greeley, so we're, we're going to head over to Greeley. We're all excited. We're trying to find a place to live. And God said, no, I think I want to keep you in Fort Collins. It kind of broke our hearts um, because by this time, we have this really strong zeal to plant a church or to be a part of a church plant. And we wanted to raise our, our kids up in that. We really wanted um, to see our kids marching alongside of us and doing this Great Commission thing and and soon they would be going off and planting the churches and just had this grand plan of how life was supposed to work. Um, so a lot of years went by, 10 years went by, and there was talk of a church plant in El Paso, Texas. Um, and we got pretty excited about that because we had been down in that area doing mission trips into Juarez. We kind of knew El Paso. We knew that area. Um, and so we're like, God, can we go on this church plant? And he goes, absolutely. You go right ahead. And so we, um, don't forget, we're full of zeal. We jumped in with both feet. Um, so we sold our house. Um, at this point in my life, I finally got a business. Um, we had a business there in Fort Collins, and we finally got it to a point where it was fairly um, successful, um, profitable. We were making pretty good money. Um, but, you know, we're all in about this Great Commission stuff, and so we sold the business. We weren't able to take it down to El Paso, um, so we sold it and sold our house. We cut everything. We, we put everything we had in El Paso, um, and a good friend of mine um, at the time, he said, well, what are you going to do when you get to El Paso? I said, I don't know. I'm going to have to find a job or do something, and he said, well, you're kind of a business guy. You should think about doing Liberty Tax Service. Um, I own all the stores up here. They do great. I love it. I make pretty good money. Um, it's fun. Um, they're growing. You know, I think it'd be just right up your alley. I said, great. Um, so we jumped into El Paso. Um, 
with the Liberty Tax Store, well, not one Liberty Tax Store, but we decided to do three. Um, so don't forget, we're pretty, pretty zealous. Um, they were actually just territories, and then you were to open an office in each territory, and you, I had three years to do it. Um, so at the, right at the end of the year 2006, we um, packed up the van, and we moved to El Paso. Um, I mean, this is like a couple days after Christmas. We land in El Paso first. Um, we explode our stuff into a very small apartment while we're trying to find a house. Um, I get a tax store ready to go. I've never done this before. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and so we do a tax business the first year we're down there um, from January to April. Um, when we got to the end of that first season, we were a little disappointed. Um, the store didn't do quite as well as we thought it would, but everybody said, you're fine. Next year, you'll do just great. Um, you ended well. Everything's fine. So we did that first year. The first year in El Paso was really fun. It was really fun to be a part of the new church plant to see what things were, what God was doing in people's lives down there. It was a challenge in all different kinds of, just any way you can imagine it was a challenge, but, but we didn't care. We were church planning. It was awesome. So, sorry, I'm talking really fast, but we have a lot to share. <laughs> I'm running out of breath. Um, so we started year two in our tax business, and it didn't take long into that year that we realized that um, things weren't going quite like we thought they would. Um, in fact, they were going actually worse than the first year, and um, so we just doubled down and worked really hard and tried to do the best we could, and then we got to the end of the year, and it looked really bad, um, and so um, we ended up losing a lot of money the second year um, on top of losing a little bit of money the first year, and so it's like, okay, that's all right. Well, I'll just go get a job. I'm pretty handy. Um, I'm willing to do just about anything, um, so I'll just go get a job. No big deal. So we're learning a lot about El Paso, too, a lot of things that we didn't know. It's a totally different culture down there. Um, so I go off trying to find a job, and I had a few jobs that I was looking into that would do okay, and I would literally have people laugh at me and turn around and walk off because I was wanting that job. And I'm like, is this how they do it in El Paso? Um, <laughs> Uh, had people that wouldn't ever call me back. Um, it was just a, it was a really strange thing. Um, so we started year three. We did a lot of odd and ends jobs that year. I was trying to mow lawns. I was trying to do landscaping. Um, we were working for a realtor um, friend of ours, cleaning houses, getting them ready to sell or to rent, um, doing a little bit of remodeling, just doing all kinds, whatever, whoever would get me a job, I'd do it. Um, there's a lot of times where um, I would work at the tax office a little bit, and Renee and I'd go clean a house, um, and then I'd go back to the tax office and help somebody on their taxes. And um, so we started year three, um, and trying to get lots of input and support on our business, and trying to figure things out. And and we did year three, and um, year three was even worse yet, and so we lost even more money. And it's starting to get pretty desperate for us. I'm really starting to struggle with a lot of things. We poured a lot of time and energy into prayer. We, we spent a lot of time um, really seeking God. We really felt like we were doing the right thing. And, and God, to me, God was just kind of creeping away and kind of going silent, kind of like he's nowhere to be found. Um, so we kind of started tax year four. Um, 
and I had, I'd actually gotten a job with the Border Patrol. And there are, there's actually a lot of stories I could tell you guys that would make a lot more sense, but I just don't have the time. But um, So I got hired on as, as going to be a Border Patrol agent. It was going to be very hard um, because Renee was now pregnant with number eight, and I was probably going to miss the delivery because I had to go to academy, unless she had it on the weekend. Um, so we were trying to figure out how to time that. Um, and so I went off to the academy, and I got there, and I was trying to do the physical, and I had kind of tore some meniscus in my knee. And when I got to the, the academy, it tore a little bit more, and it tore to the point where I couldn't even straighten out my leg. Um, it was catching. And everybody's like, oh, you're fine. Just take some ibuprofen. You'll be good. Well, when I started limping around, they're like, what's wrong with your knee? I'm like, oh, it's just a little meniscus. It's no big deal. And they kicked me out and said, go get it fixed, and then you can come back. Um, so I lost the job. And there was a lot of things like that that, that I felt like, okay, this is where God's going to rescue us. Um, God's coming in. He gave me this job. Well, I just lost the job. Um, there's another really big story about Right after that, we thought, oh, okay, I lost the Border Patrol job, but this is exciting things happening in our office, and this is where we're going to do more tax returns than everybody in the whole country, and we ended up doing zero tax returns, and it just seemed like every time we really felt like God was going to come in, swoop us up and rescue us, and everything was going to be okay, he just lifted us a little bit higher to shove us a little bit farther down and to fall a little bit harder and to slap our face right onto the ground. By this time, I'm like, okay, God cannot be trusted. Prayer does not work. Tithe 10% and your barns will overflow baloney. I'm really struggling with my faith. I'm supposed to be on a church plant. So when I get done with the office, I'm supposed to be Mr. Christian and go try to see people saved. Well, now I'm really questioning all my faith and where all this is going. And so at the end of that fourth year, I'm just like, okay, we've got to do something. We're like desperate. We're bleeding money like crazy. Um, so it's time to do whatever we have to to get a job. And so I have a brother-in-law in Kansas that owns a fairly large farm, and he had offered to give me a job just to help me get, get back on my feet. So that just happens to be a little bit closer, or fairly close to Manhattan, Kansas, and Rick Whitney had just planted a church there at Kansas State University. Um, so we, even in the, my doubting and the faith struggle I had, there was still a pull in me to want to stay with a Great Commission church or to stay with like-minded people. So we, in our minds, we had two choices, to either go to, back to Fort Collins or to go to this um, job in Kansas. We didn't have a job in Fort Collins. Um, so we chose to go to Kansas, and we loved Rick Whitney, so we were going to go and be a part of his church. Um, so as we were packing up the U-Haul again and leaving, the, leaving um, El Paso, there was, there was this hurt and hardship behind us because it was our dream to always to be a part of a church plant. And now we're leaving, and we felt like we were letting a lot of people down. And we were the first ones down there, and now we're, we're cutting, cutting the rope and leaving, and we're just trying to survive. So there was a lot of heartache in that. But there was a lot of hope that, okay, I have a job. Now I'll get a paycheck. Um, 
and at least we can kind of get back onto our feet. So we loaded up the truck and we moved to Kansas and it didn't take long to realize it was just a, a new kind of hard. And this is where Renee's <laughs> trial starts. It's actually and, both of our trials. Yeah. But. And my emotion level's about here, just listening to that and being in front of you guys. So, um, yeah, I would say we limped to Kansas. Um, we, um, as we, as we're doing that, we had already moved out of our house. We rented it. Our stuff's in storage. We're living somewhere else. So we moved several times. Then we took stuff out of storage there, put it in storage in Kansas, lived with his mom for four months out of suitcases and kids on the floor and, and a family of 10 in an empty nester's home. It was a trial for all of us, but, um, we hung in there. Um, and, also, that last year in um, El Paso, our, one of our daughters got burned, and... It's time change. <laughs> and the, just the wound care, and she had to have a skin graft, and just walking through that with her was really hard. So now we're in Kansas, <clears throat> and thanks. Um, we finally, after the four months, we found a little uh, farmhouse to rent, and it just felt like a, a grace in the wilderness. Um, in Jeremiah 31.2, it says, those who survived the sword will find grace in the wilderness. And we felt like El Paso was the sword, and, um, and this was our little grace. And, and for a while, you know, that's just what it was. Roger was actually getting paid for working, and we were learning the novelties of a farm, and it was kind of fun at first, um, but again, the reality set in that, well, I think this is just a new kind of hard. Um, his, his farming is 10-hour days, six days a week, and then we didn't, we had more tax seasons, so he still had to go back and kind of manage that, um, different key points of the season, and then he on those off seasons, he would be harvesting and away from home just to bring in the work. So first couple years, um, we, he, was, he was busy or gone. And meanwhile, um, our oldest is, we're kind of wrestling with her and even just all of our kids. We're so blindsided, we're not even seeing what this is doing to them. And, and they had their own processing they had to do and I don't really feel like we actively walked with them in that. So, so yeah, a new kind of hard. Um, so about a, a year and a half in, I just felt like the Lord just kept putting this verse in front of me. I just kept seeing this verse, Jeremiah 31, um, verses 3 through 4, or 4 through 5. And I, it just constantly in front of me. So I just thought, Lord, I think you want me to claim this verse. And the verse is, again, I will build you. You will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant and enjoy them. And I just kept hearing that again, again, and there was that promise there that God can and will rebuild us. And so, again, we're just full of zeal. 
okay, so now I just have to wait till he does that and we'll be all done. And so I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for him to do that. And another about year and a half goes by and by now Faith is 18 and um, she's in the last part of her senior year and she comes to us and says, I, I got to figure this out on my own. I want to move out. I'm going to live with friends, finish high school, and I need to figure this out. And so she moved out. And that was a huge blow to me. I'm both of us, but it just laid me open. I just really felt defeated. And um, if I ever sought the Lord before, I threw myself into just figuring out, what are you doing, Lord? And um, I just felt so numb some days. It wasn't like there was just this instant fueling from the Lord. I just had to walk through the days, and I just at times felt paralyzed. And I had seven kids looking at me, going, what are we going to do? Or what now, Mom? Should I finish my math sheet? You know? And um, I, just had to, uh, I just had to remember that I've got to do the next right thing. And that's what I just kept telling myself. And sometimes the next right thing was good prayer walk and engage with school. And sometimes the next right thing was go start a load of laundry and make your bed. And, um, and so I just, I just plotted through doing the next right thing. And in that time, um, it was hard, but we drove the 45 minutes to church each week. And we stayed on a small group, and we stayed connected with people because we knew that was what had marked us in some, at some of you. And, um, and then we leaned into each other, and that was mark, a mark from some of you as well, is just lean in and engage together. And... Uh, uh, probably, what was it, 2014 is when we had an opportunity to move back to Fort Collins. And so we did that. And I said, okay, rebuilt. <laughs> and as we landed in Fort Collins, um, you know, we still barely made enough and we're still regroup building. And in, in just these past years, it, the Lord, I think, showed me that Rebuilding this journey is a process. It's a journey, it's a process, and he can be trusted. So my verse in Fort Collins that has been dear to me, um, that has kind of brought me full circle, is Psalm 56, 8 through 9. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. And that was a truth that I thought I believed before, but God's cemented it in the past few years. He's really cemented in my heart. Yeah, so, the, so as we look back on that time, we, we just kind of look at each other and go, so how did we, how did we actually make it through that? Um, there's so many stories in there that that we just don't have time to share with you of things that have happened and and just to make that really hard. Um, but but we just think back of our first early years in some of you. And during that time, I mean, we made a commitment to God that we wanted to run the Great Commission. 
and we wanted to, and we made a commitment to each other. Um, in, the, in our early years, um, there was a lot of people in, in our church that helped us with our marriage. Um, we were kind of having some problems. We weren't even sure if we were going to stay married at the point, and God turned that around. And ever since then, we just, we really grew together in our marriage. And then the, the last thing is, is just, um, just the, the community that we were in was unbelievable. Um, the friends um, in Fort Collins, the, the circle of people in El Paso, the circle of people even in Manhattan. Um, we literally have people all over this country, all over the world, um, that we have come into contact with through our small group that would in, not only just like us, but embrace us. And, and it was because of that community um, of people that I think that really helped us kind of stay on our feet. And there was a lot of times um, we would turn to each other and I would say, are we going to make it? Yeah, we're going to make it. And then other times I would turn to him and say, honey, are we going to make it? I'd say, yeah, I think so. I think we're going to make it. <laughs> it's that time change thing. Um, so we just, we made a commitment to God to really live out the Great Commission. And it has not been easy. Um, we had this dream of planting churches and seeing our kids plant churches and, um, I don't know what plan God has for us right now, but um, God is rebuilding us. Um, it is a very slow process. I think God took me down to ground zero with my faith, and he is still continuing to um, really grow my faith and build that back up to where it needs to be. I, I, again, there's so much stuff in there, but just the, I mean, currently we still look back on that time, and God gives us little nuggets of things that he's still trying to teach us from that trial and just the other day I was even talking to a lady from another church and she's like yeah God just uses trials just to pull us closer to him and and I was like oh well I think that's working for me because I went through that trial in El Paso and I actually feel pretty close to God um and and so and she shared the verse of, you know, consider it pure joy to, that you face many trials. And it's like, that's, that's a horrible verse. Um, <laughs> but, but when you see it on, on that perspective, it's like, yeah, God's just trying to get all the junk out of the way so that he can come closer to you. Um, it's actually pretty cool. Um, and it is a little, it, it's more joyful at the, at the backside of the trial. But, um, but yeah, so I think one of the main things is just, our community of, of believers, like-minded friends that are, are, are trying to figure this, this life with God thing out together and to keep pressing forward, to keep trying to encourage people, to keep trying to um, bring people in, to keep planting churches. Um, it's a cool thing. It's not an easy thing. Um, it's pretty hard. Um, and it doesn't really always go to how you plan it. Um, but I think God's good. Um, I had a hard time saying that in El Paso um, at the end of that time, but I can say now God's good, and God does have a purpose, and God, um, God is for me, um, and there's still a lot of stuff I'm growing in, and, and still he's, he's working out in me, um, in both of us, um, but we do look back on that time, and we kind of go, whew, 
I hope we don't have to go through that again. Pat has a couple things he's going to pass on to us also, I think, to kind of contextualize some of the things that got shared. So, Pat, why don't you? Actually, as I, I try to stay in step with the Spirit, I, I think there's something more important. Um, I just wonder if you could just put your heads together, lift them up. If you're in one of those seasons, just tell the people around you, I need prayer. There's a moment to connect and to care that's more representation of being disciples and being the people of God than more information. We all have versions of seasons where it's all coming apart. And the mandate of the people of God is to draw near and to care and to comfort. So if you know Roger and Renee, in that you can go lay hands on them, lift them up, thank God for them. But just even you're in little groups, just pray for courage to stay in that battle. And if you're in one of those places, just have the courage to say, you don't have to tell your story. Say, would you pray for us? Would you pray for me? We'll just spend a little season doing that. 